The word of God from John. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all of his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. This is God's word given for our good. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Thank you so much, Chris. I really appreciate that. If you would um, just bear with me one more moment um, as we are standing together, as I lead us in prayer for this time. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity to be in your word, to, to delve the riches of what you have shared with us. Lord, give us eyes to see and ears to hear. Go before us and prepare our hearts that you would teach us all, me first, first of all, Lord. And may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be pleasing to you, O oh God, our rock and our redeemer. And we ask these things through the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Good morning. If I have not had the opportunity to meet you before, uh, my name is Jason Walsh. I'm the associate pastor here at Denver Presbyterian Church, and it is my delight to come to you and share with you what in some ways is a part one sermon, because next week, Ronnie is going to take us through another of Jesus's I Am statements. That's the series of sermons that we're in right now. And he's going to take you through uh, one of the ones that's like an easy favorite, I am the good shepherd, and that's going to be a delightful thing. But it's in the same passage, the same opportunity where Jesus is teaching, and it's recorded for us in the Gospel of John, that I'm going to be taking us through some statement, uh, a statement that Jesus makes about himself that maybe isn't immediately clear, isn't immediately understandable. And so my hope is that as I have grown in my understanding of it, we will all grow in our understanding of it and respond accordingly. And you know, there are certain passages of Scripture that we, we come to and they are our favorite. They're our favorite because we hear them often or they're deeply personally meaningful to us. Maybe we remember them from early memories of, you know, like for me, Genesis 1.1. It was the first verse of Scripture I ever memorized, and I didn't even know what I was doing when I did it. I was, it was the one time I went to Sunday school as a child, and I got a piece of candy for memorizing, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Maybe you have a similar story yourself. Um, but 
the familiarity we have with these passages sometimes takes away our ability to really be present with them in the same room. Sometimes we need to hear the remix of our favorite song to appreciate a depth of it that we didn't ordinarily have. Another passage of Scripture for you might be Psalm 23. Um, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And just a few, a couple of weeks ago, my wife and I were uh, waiting for, we we use a, a devotional guide together and we were waiting for it to come to us in the mail. And so we were kind of rolling our own that morning and uh, figuring out what are we going to do, right? And, and so we've just sat there with our Bibles open and we just said, how about Psalm 23? Oh yeah, that's great. And so we read through it. And then two days later when the devotional had arrived, what was the Psalm for the day? Psalm 23. And, <laughs> and sometimes it's hard to hear the words because they lose their edge. But one of the things that... Uh, One of the things that I thought was good for us to do was to revisit it, to understand it in a deeper way. And it resonates with the text we're going to be going to this morning, the one we just heard Chris read to us, about Jesus describing himself as the door for the sheep. And he does make reference to himself as a shepherd. And one of the things that we need to keep in mind whenever we visit these kinds of passages is that being a sheep is not necessarily a compliment. You know, maybe we're looking at it with rose-colored glasses. Maybe we're thinking, you know, optimistically, glass half full. You know, oh, we're sheep. We're fluffy and we're cute. And like, oh, the, the product of our lives, this wool, it's useful. And that's part of it. But sheep are very difficult to manage. Sheep herders or shepherds use a lot of very good tools to get their job done. In our day, they may use trucks or ATVs or even drones to help manage a herd. And some of the smartest working dogs were bred specifically to help with managing herds. So if you've ever heard about how border collies are like particularly smart, it's because they have to help manage this skittish clump of beasts. Why all this effort? Why all these resources? It's because sheep are foolish creatures. This is why it's not a compliment necessarily when the Lord says, you are my sheep. They run away from their keepers. They suffer under the, and after they've run away, they suffer under the weight of their overgrown fleece. They are scared of running water. And so they end up getting sick because instead of drinking the clear running water, they'll go to a stagnant pool instead. And is that good for them? No, it's nasty. They habitually go to graze in familiar spots and they will keep going back and back and back until there's nothing left to graze on, not even the stubs of roots of the grass that they had been eating on. And to get to those familiar spots, they will walk past bountiful grazing, plenty of grass, and they'll walk right past it to the place they're familiar with. They're the ultimate prey animal, and that's prey with an E, P-R-E-Y. Basically, they have little to no defenses, and they're delicious. They don't have a lot of dexterity, and they're prone to get startled and panic. 
And here we are, though. The Scriptures from the Old and the New Testament alike, they refer to people as sheep. And it's not a compliment. Because we, as people, can be foolish. We can return to what used to work for our lives and receive only diminishing returns. And while, we, while we're doing that, we're walking past the low-hanging fruit of life in God's kingdom. We get caught up in a herd mentality, whether it's politics, fashion, trends on social media, and we are preyed upon by those who would seek to control us under the pretense that they are the ones who control access to the blessings that we should experience. These leaders want to control us for their own ends, for their own designs, for their own benefit, but not necessarily ours. Now, I do not need to tell you about how power can be abused in our lives. You've seen it, or you've experienced it firsthand. Whether it's a corrupt civic leader misusing public funds, or some despotic middle manager who's so about what they can control that they're losing sight of the very organizational goals you have in mind, and you're like, this should not be the hard part, going to the accounting department or the requisitions department. Maybe it's the teacher in school who's just mean. Have you had a mean teacher? I've had a mean teacher. And I'm sure Mrs. O'Quinn is doing fine somewhere. (laughs) But she was mean. It took me three quarters of my fourth grade year to appreciate that she actually did have good things in mind for me. But people with power can use their influence to supply their own needs. And these false leaders, they can manipulate us, they can charm us, they can threaten to get their way, and they often set themselves up as the gatekeepers to the blessings of God's kingdom. Now, when I say these things, you might be thinking, wow, is Jason about to lay out on us some like weird revelation of like, what's wrong here at Denver Preds? No. I can tell you with all sincerity that the folks that are in leadership in our church are some of the best people you will ever know. They're some of the most honest and filled with integrity people I've ever been aware of. And yet, this reality of leaders abusing their power in the church, in the midst of God's people, it's a reality. And as, as sickening as the thought is that someone who is supposed to represent Jesus to a group of people would abuse them for their own gain, as sickening as that thought is, we also know that it happens. And it happens with frightening regularity. And Jesus himself encountered it. You see, we're going to be looking at four things. We're going to be looking from this illustration, this imagery that Jesus provides us of being the door, we're going to look at who the thieves are, who the door is, we're going to look at the way in, and we're going to look at the shepherd's call.
And don't worry, I'll repeat those as we go through them. But the reason I'm talking about this this way is because in the context, it's really important for us to understand what's going on around it. So to illustrate that, um, I'm just going to ask a question. This is very, very practical, I assure you. Um, am I well lit where I'm standing right now? Am I, am, I, am I pretty well lit? Good, thank you. Now, in the context of this service, in this particular auditorium, with the lighting situation almost completely out of our control, that is an appropriate question that's understandable. If we're at a bar and I ask you, am I well lit? <laughs> context is very important, right? And the context of Jesus saying, I am the door, is immediately after chapter 9 of John, and re let's remember, the chapter numbers, we added those later to find things. Those are location markers. Those are scriptural GPS. They weren't part of the original text. And so the end of chapter 9 flows right into chapter 10 as you read it as it was originally written. And what had happened just then was Jesus had restored, not restored, the better word is given. He had given sight to a man who had been born blind. This was more than a miraculous healing, although a miraculous healing would be incredible, right? And when he miraculously healed people, it was wonderful and amazing and disruptive. But this was Jesus giving someone an ability and a, and a capacity that they had never had. He had been born blind. He didn't know what it was to see. And Jesus made him into someone who can now see and make sense of the things around him. He went straight past all of the sensory motor stages of an infant and was able to see because Jesus came and gave it to him. That should have blown everyone's mind so much that they would have just said, okay, Jesus, do whatever you need to do. We will, we will do whatever you ask. And yet, the Pharisees were interacting with that man who had been born blind and now could see. And what were they telling him? You can't talk about this Jesus. And he's like, I'm just telling you what happened to me. And they said, you're out of the synagogue. They kicked him out of that local gathering of God's people because it offended their sense of control and propriety. And so that's the context where Jesus comes in and shares with us what we just heard read. I am the door. That's why we need to hear this. So who are these thieves? The thieves that Jesus is talking about in verse 1, and if, uh, if you can bear with me revisiting it, he says, truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. He's telling us who these thieves are. They're bad leaders who come into the church, but they're not coming in through Jesus. They're coming in through their desire for control. They're coming in for their desire for influence. They're coming in because they have something they want to get from God's people. And Jesus is saying, that ain't it. That is not the way to do it. And bad leaders have plagued God's people for millennia. This was not new to Jesus' time. This was new 
always. <laughs> it had always been true. And Jesus makes reference to that in verse 8. He says, All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. Jesus is calling out those religious leaders of the time who were so fragile in their positions of power that they denied obvious indicators of the one God promised to send to make things better for everyone. And Jesus' words would probably have brought to mind something for those very leaders, but also for the crowd who, let's remember, they didn't have as much Bible to read as we do. The New Testament wasn't written yet, but they had the Old Testament, and they knew about that promised one through the words of the prophets. And the words of the prophet Ezekiel would have been humming in the background of their mind as they heard Jesus talk about these shepherds who are actually thieves and robbers. Because that's exactly the imagery Ezekiel used to call out the religious leaders of his day. In Ezekiel 34, we see this. Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, thus says the Lord God, ah, shepherds of Israel who have been feeding yourselves, should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat you clothe yourselves with the wool. You slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened. The sick you have not healed. The injured you have not bound up. The strayed you have not brought back. The lost you have not sought. And with force and harshness you have ruled them. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd. And they became food for all the wild beasts. My sheep were scattered. They wandered all over the mountains and on every high hill. The sheep were scattered all over the face of the earth with none to search or seek for them. Ezekiel was sending out an indictment. And when he did that, he was calling out to those shepherds of Israel, of God's people. And he said, you're not acting like a shepherd. You're acting like somebody who eats mutton. Mutton is that nice euphemism we have for sheep, all right? Or we call it lamb chops, right? He's saying, instead of feeding the sheep, you've been feeding on the sheep. And that is not your rule. That is not your way. That is not why I put you in that position of authority. That is not what you're supposed to be doing. And so Ezekiel's calling them out, and Jesus is like invoking this. He's alluding to it and bringing home the reality that if a religious leader is getting in your way of actually knowing and enjoying God and his kingdom, they are a thief, they're a robber. It is not right. And I'm sure that with me, when you hear that, when you read that, you're like, yes, finally, someone's going to talk about the problems of leadership and institutional religion. Yes, but that doesn't mean we flush institutional religion because the church was actually Jesus' idea. But Jesus also knows we live in a horribly complicated world full of sin and disappointment all kinds of harassment and wounds. And he's speaking to that reality. And he's helping us to hold these two things that seem contradictory at once. 
human leaders in God's people will fail and do bad things. And Jesus is going to build his church. We have to hold those two things at the same time. And Jesus is helping us to do that by pointing these things out. Because these bad leaders consume their people rather than guide them to flourishing. Look at just the first part of verse 10. As I flip back to John. It wasn't in Ezekiel, I promise. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. This verse is often used in reference to Satan. And while it does have some resonance with the death throes of that enemy of God, this verse in context is talking about human religious leaders who are not trusting him. In their lack of belief, they use people and destroy their lives. As they build their kingdom, rather than contributing to God's kingdom, they consume their brothers and sisters. And whether intentionally or not, they weaken the very people they are there to strengthen. And you know how that shows up. You know how it shows up. It shows up in all sorts of nasty ways, but also in in ways that are insidious, that we don't even notice until we're reflecting on it after days, months, years, and realize there were some good things said, but man, that, that, wasn't, that wasn't right. I felt used. I felt burnt out following that person's lead. And right now, it's easy to say that pastor, but you know what? It can happen in any level of authority in God's people. It can happen with a Bible study leader. It can happen with somebody teaching Sunday school, it can happen in any level of authority. And that's why we need to hear that those thieves are present and recognize the reality that Jesus is telling us. He's telling us the way it actually is, not the way we hope it would be, not the ideal we have set forth. This is how it actually is. But it gets better because there is the way in. There is the door, the shepherd and the door. And Jesus sets himself up as this guide and guard. He's saying that I am going to be the one who actually gives access to God's kingdom. It's not the authority that's an under-shepherd in God's people. I'm the one. I'm the way in. And what's beautiful about that is that that's the very thing that we need to be reminded of. As messy and complicated as even our relationship to a church can be, Jesus is the one who gives us the promise of eternal life. Jesus is the one that gives us the sense of our value, not the person who weighs our value based on whether we deliver for them or not. Jesus is the way in, and he explains it. He explains it in this language of being the door. Now, in ancient shepherding practice, they would have a wall built right up next to another building or just out in the middle of a field, a little circular wall. And there would be a gap about four feet wide, just about wide enough for two sheep to struggle to get in at the same time. 
And what they would do is they would get them in that pen so that they could rest at night. And the shepherd would either hire someone to lay down and be in the way, or they themselves would lay down in that gap. And you might be thinking, well, couldn't the sheep just like step over them? Well, sheep are not that good with dexterity. And also, if 120 pounds of wool went over you at night, it would probably wake you up, right? That was the practice. And Jesus is saying, when it comes to God's kingdom, I'm like that person laying in the door, laying in that gap. I'm the one who allows access to God's kingdom. And then he says in verses 2 through 4, he says this, He who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens, the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all of his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of a stranger. So Jesus is the shepherd who calls us his sheep. Jesus is the door standing in the gap between his kingdom and the kingdom of this world. And Jesus does not allow anyone to sneak into the kingdom. You have to go through him. And though some may sneak into the church, he's saying, those people went over the wall. They're not here legitimately. And so you don't have to have these complicated feelings about why would God let that happen? It's like he's giving us the reality of our time right now that he has come and inaugurated. He started his kingdom, but it's not yet complete. It will be complete when he returns and sets everything right. And that's when we can know that there are not frauds in our midst. But he's speaking to that reality. And he says in verse 9, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. He will go in and out. He's talking about a freedom of being in God's kingdom that means we can go about our life in a beautiful freedom of knowing that we have the blessing of God. It is no longer to be earned. We got it by coming in through Jesus. And it means that however we live our lives, we have that freedom to go in and to go out. And it would have echoed in their mind like the covenant blessing from Deuteronomy 28.6. Blessed shall you be when you come in and blessed shall you be when you go out. It's an echo of the promise that God had always set before his people, that if you trust me and follow my ways, it's going to be wonderful. And that brings us to the way in. What is the way in? It's Jesus. Jesus again says to them in verse 7, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. And he's giving this reference. And this, has, this ties back to Psalm 118. There's so much here, guys. I, I, I'm not going to have time for all of it, but it's so beautiful. It's talking about this liminal access point. And when I say liminal, what I mean is liminal is that line, that threshold, like with a doorway, where you're either in or you're out and that liminal space is spoken of in terms of gates sometimes in the Psalms. And what it evokes is this sense of 
You can be part of this. You need merely come in. And Jesus is saying, and I'm that way in. I'm the one that you're ultimately placing your trust in. Jesus is the one who gives us that access because there's no other name by which we must be saved. It is only through Jesus. And through Jesus to what? To what? What is he beckoning us into? Are you familiar with the show Bluey? Okay, okay. So, I'm not that familiar with it, but I already have a favorite character. It's the hand puppet Unicorse. Because Unicorse is teaching valuable critical thinking skills with his catchphrase, and why should I care? So we need to follow the example of Unicorse and ask ourselves, and why should I care? Because what we are being invited into is the very life we were created for. We were not created to live with the misery and complications of sin. That is a sub-theme of the big story that Scripture tells us. What we were actually created for was to delight in the God who created us and delights in us. That second part of verse 10, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. That is why we should care. Because we can live in a way that contributes to the good that God is always throwing the, in the path of creation. We can be part of what he's doing in the world. We can be with him as he does the wondrous work of making things the way they ought to be. And this again harkens to other passages of Ezekiel 34. But Suffice it to say, like the very end of Ezekiel 34 gives us what is just incomparably one of the best explanations of what it means to live abundantly in the presence of God. When he says this, when, when God says to his people, and they shall know that I am the Lord their God with them, and that they, the house of Israel, just read that as God's people, are my people, declares the Lord God. And you are my sheep, human sheep of my pasture, and I am your God, declares the Lord God. That's that abundant life that we're being called into. That life of knowing that we no longer have something to prove, we, have no, we no longer have something to earn. It's been done for us by Jesus, by his death, his resurrection, and we, entrusting him, are invited into a kind of life where we can't lose because ultimately he intends everything for our blessing. The very parts of our lives that are painful for us to recall will be bent back toward blessing. And I can tell you from my own limited experience that there are things that have happened in my life I would not wish on an enemy, and yet God, in his wonderful grace, has bent them back to be places of profound blessing for me. That's the abundant life he's calling us into. He's got our back. We really can't lose. It won't always be easy, 
but it will be so satisfying, so fulfilling. Whatever struggle we're struggling with, He will see us through it. And that is the abundant life He's calling us to. And that is what brings us to the shepherd's call. Because Jesus is saying to us, through this image of Him being the door, He's saying, get in here. Get in with me. Just do it. And so I want to repeat that in a few different ways. If you are yourself standing at the threshold of trusting Him with your life, please take that step. If you are waiting for the right time to get serious about Jesus, the right time is now. And if you are hoping that this really is good, that it really is good to follow Him, that it really is good to trust Him, that it really is to go all in and be that kind of person who says, the key influencer in my life is an itinerant preacher from Palestine 2,000 plus years ago. The time is right. Do it. Please. Do it. But there's also good news for those of us who have been on the way for a time or for even those of us who, who love the good news of Jesus, but our experiences with churches and particularly with bad leaders in churches who, on reflection, we look back and we wonder, were they thieves? Were they robbers? And that has so complicated our relationship with it that we're like, I like the idea of Jesus, but man, the execution has left me so harmed, so bruised, I don't want to go there. There is beautiful news for us in this as well. Because Jesus is with his people. And he is building his church. And no amount of bad leaders are going to prevent that. No amount of bad leaders are going to prevent Jesus from gathering his people. And the beauty of that should capture our imagination. Because you might be wondering to yourself, how do I trust any leader? We need to remember that any leader can fall. Every leader will fail in one way or another. I certainly have. But you can trust any leader who is living a life of trust in Jesus. And it's more than that person knowing the right words to say. And it's more than having a lot of charisma, a lot of forcefulness, a lot of admirable personality traits. It's more than that. Ask yourself, how do they relate to you? Is it like talking to Jesus? Is it like you're the only person in the room? Or is it like you're another item on their checklist? Or is it that you're another means to their end? How do they encourage you? 
Do they encourage you by saying, well, if you don't do this, then, you know, that would be a shame. Or do they encourage you by reminding you the way Jesus did that you are beautiful and you were made exactly the way you're supposed to be made and you can be flourishing in God's kingdom? How do they promote the blessing of others? How do they cultivate the lives of their family? These are the questions that help us to discern the leaders we ought to follow. And if you find yourself following a leader whose focus and attention is on building their brand or promoting their image, they might be a thief. If you find yourself following a leader whose need for control erases the joy from seasons and occasions that should be celebrated, maybe they're more intent on it being right than it being delightful. They might be a thief. Jesus in verses 3 through 5, remember, he says, To him the gatekeeper opens, the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This means that Jesus really has the people he wants in his kingdom. And that means if you belong to him, no matter how complicated your church history is with bad leaders, if you belong to him, nothing's going to change that. Those experiences don't hinder your access to Jesus because he loves you and he knows you and you know him. You know when his voice is calling you. A cult of personality will never replace or supplant the church. And the long story of the church ends with a celebration around the throne of God. And that celebration is going to be wondrous because it's going to have all kinds of people in it and it's going to be beautiful. And the beautiful, encouraging thing for us is that our shepherd, the door, is going to take care of all of this. And he's going to take care of all of us. We need only follow him, drawing near in the confidence of his grace and not looking to our own performance. Amen? Amen.